Shut up and sit down. Hi, I'm Corbin. And I'm Katie. And we are the, the Vagabonds. Two best friends adventuring through the world of lady stuff, one episode at a time. We don't give medical advice, and we don't see for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having at bars anyway. Hi. Well, hi there. Hello. How's it going? It's good. How are you guys? Good. We're hanging in there. Oh, um, by good I yeah. mean they Corbin and Dave just listened to me rant for the past like twenty minutes about why I hate this school. <laughs> things. We'll just say things. She has already said it. Just things about every school I feel like that are just frustrating to the students there. Yeah. Anyway, that's not anything specific <clears throat> about Iowa. Mm. I think Hard when to... you have any sort of big institution, yeah. things are bound to right. you know. And it's mostly just personal things like my lack of like lunch until far after I expected to receive lunch today. Oh, you're hangry. Yeah, for sure. But mm. also just like, you know, yeah. it's like more just like things didn't meet my expectations. And I was just pissed about it. A little disappointed. Yeah. I hear that. But I'm better um, now. Would you like some Swedish news? Yes. When we're recording this, it's um, Fat Tuesday, or as the Swedes call it, I think, Fettiskatten or something like that. Fetis, no. Fettiskatten? Doggen. Doggen. Fettiskatten. Why? I, um, I thought Mardi Gras was, <laughs> was a New Orleans, like, South America kind of thing. It's Fat Tuesday is a Christianity it's thing. It's a church calendar thing. Oh, God, I know so yeah. little. That's okay. Yeah. Um... Because, Mar- you know, you got to indulge yourself before you sacrifice for the Lord. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because um, tomorrow is Ash Wednesday, which is the first day of Lent. Well, I knew that. Okay. Right. I never. So, I guess so, I never knew the connection. I may not remember it the next time we talk right. about this. Uh, is Mardi... I don't know the answer to this. Is Mardi Gras a day? It's a festival, right? It's a festival. Yeah. It's a week. Yeah, a week. I think. Okay. And it ends on Fat Tuesday. Yeah. That's a culmination of... Yeah. Um, so I had a traditional uh, Swedish semla, which is a dessert type thing, and some warm milk, and it was very nice. Mm. A little sweet, but nice. That's if you warm milk, I don't know how I feel about warm yeah. milk. It, I didn't know either until I had it, and it was nice. Do you pretend that it's um, that you've just gotten it right out of the cow? Is does that help at all? I actually didn't. I I did. I think that would have made it grosser. For next me. time, next time, give it a try and report back. Which is coincidentally why my grandpa can't drink milk because he's too traumatized from his youth of having to drink oh, <laughs> warm milk straight from the cow as a child. What do you mean? <laughs> this is why they didn't have refrigeration or or no, but if no, you drink it straight from the cow, farm. yeah. So you, you well, on the farm. no no no. So you go out and you just like put your mouth under the no, cow. No, you milk into a bucket, but then you drink it. Yeah, you put it you into it. a bottle mm. and you just drink it. Why not take it out of the cow? And put it into the fridge and then drink it. Because what if you want to drink it before it's cold from the fridge? Well, seems like bad planning. Um, oh. I just feel Cows like that milk wasn't a feasible option at the time. Oh, or they do. You're the right. Thing. They do give milk at certain times of day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like you just drank warm milk because that's what you drink. Yeah. And also it wasn't a thing. Cold milk like wasn't really a thing. 
I'm sorry for my lack um, of understanding of the farming. But that's world. why Adam hates cottage cheese because this is real gross. I shouldn't even say this on the podcast. Maybe we should take this out. But apparently, cottage cheese looks like mastitis, and so Adam like will not eat cottage cheese. Wow. I mean, I don't eat cottage cheese either because it's gross. I love so. no, it's cheese. delicious. I love cottage cheese. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Looks like you don't um, know what you're talking about. <laughs> It's not uh, fight. It's not fight, lady. <laughs> um, absence is supposed to make the heart grow fonder. Mm-hmm. Well, I could feel it. It would if you wouldn't say dumb things like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a big texture person, and the texture of cottage cheese. Yeah, I mean me that's out. definitely fair. Totally get that. I do love cottage cheese, but I do totally understand. See, and like I feel like I'm the opposite of most of our generation because I don't like yogurt. Like I hate yogurt. So. Mm, I eat yogurt every day. Yeah. So does Adam. It's just it's just like the the tanginess of it. Just like I just can't. I don't know. It's just it's um, just weird. Yeah. But anyway, back bit. to the semlas. Yes. The hospital actually bought everyone semlas. Like oh. all the people that work there, they like bought them and provided them. Like that. Like does not surprise me. That's nice. And we took them as our fico, which is our ten o'clock snack time every day. Say that again. Say the word again. Fika. Fika. F-I-K-A. Fika. Fika. Yeah. All right. The most important important Swedish word. <laughs> True. <laughs> True that. Um, and okay, so first of all, everyone should follow Corbin on Instagram. But second, um, she posted a picture on Instagram and it looked delicious. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. It looked like a beignet with something yeah, inside. Like it. a cream puff kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beignets are fried though, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. This was not fried. Okay. What it was a, how close to a cream puff did it taste? Pretty close. Other than the bread is not a pastry bread dough. It is a. It's it's almost like a stri- sweet bread, like a kind of sour- almond flavored okay. stri- sweet gotcha. bread almost. Gotcha. Yeah. I see. I'm loving everything about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Cool. Well, Very sweet. I felt very full for a long time. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It looked um, very big also. It was big. It was big. Well, anyway, this has been our food podcast within a podcast. We, we, uh, I feel like every show now we're talking about food I know. or drink. Well, it doesn't help that we record often right after we've eaten right. something. So <laughs> yeah. uh, that's helpful. I'm just well um now we're gonna have an arts podcast because i want to talk about the thing i'm so obsessed with right now mm. is the smithsonian portraits of former president and first lady brock and michelle obama these are uh Ooh. these are uh, getting a lot of attention on, they are. on the internet i think they're awesome do other do other presidential or ex-presidential portraits get this much attention i'm not sure i honestly don't even know what any of the other portraits look like but they're pretty cool. I mean, I when I saw yeah. these, I was imagining like your usual presidential portraits being sort of, you know, stuffy, you know, uh, Just traditional. Just like a typical, yeah, like a classical portrait. Right, right. And these are totally not that. We have, if you haven't seen them, we've got uh, the, the... They're striking. They're awesome. They are very striking. We've got uh, President Obama sitting in a... Uh, in a chair, ornate chair of some sort, partially submerged in leaves, uh, or a hedge mm-hmm. or something like that, which is very, which is an interesting choice. Um, and then you should look at the artist's other work. Yeah, yeah, it's very it similar make more to sense. the other work. Yeah, but so they sure. must have chosen these uh, 
these artists based on the, their other work, and that's awesome. They because did. They are so, and and Michelle Obama's portrait. She's wearing this uh, really cool graphic long flowing gown. She's seated with those uh, lovely arms uh, displayed for everyone yeah, to see. The forever. ones that she got in so much trouble for. Yeah. The first lady showing her bare arms. Ah! My pearls. My People pearls. are going to know that the first lady has arms, you guys. And that she's got guns. She is ripped. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she looks great. I will say, I don't know. I think it doesn't like truly look like her as much in the face as <coughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, but it's still good. I think it would look cooler like in person when you go to see it. Yeah, I'm sure. Because I think what I've seen most is people really like President Obama's and they don't as much like Miss um, Michelle's. But I don't know. I think it's probably cooler in person and also like you have to appreciate it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and these are also like larger than life size too, which I think being in person would make that just more apparent yeah um so anyway i did like uh, according to this article i'm reading uh andrew jackson's 1836 portrait um shows him in a floor-length red silk line dracula coat cloak hmm. and a kind of topiary buffon uh so that's pretty that seems appropriate that's for him. pretty amazing uh so there you go um, according to the New York Times article that I'm looking at right now, the presidents generally pick the artists who paint their portraits. That is probably why this one's getting tons of publicity, because it's the first presidential por- portrait painted by a black artist. Right. And which is great. So usually they pick the artist, but apparently Theodore Roosevelt destroyed his portrait and asked for a do over. Destroyed it. Um, has anybody one been watching The Crown? Yeah, but I'm not completely caught up on season two. Oh yeah, uh, but are you talking about season one? Winston Churchill had or the like Parliament for his 80th birthday. Um, they had a portrait commission by like, uh, in, he was like a modern artist. He's like a realist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he hated it, and rumor has it that his wife burned the portrait. Yeah, in the crown, he, she burns it, or he burns it. I think, in the crown. Yeah, that's not for sure. Like, the, right? That's just the way it happens but, in the show. Yeah, yeah. but so. Um, Everyone's. Anyway, a I just critic. looked up George W. Bush's, and it's pretty lame. Yeah. Yeah, most of them are tra- like we said, very traditional, according to what I'm reading here. So, apparently, President Lyndon Johnson had Norman Rockwell paint him. But I don't know if that was his official one. Anyway, but I just think that's interesting because normal Rockwell is cool. Anyway. Well, good job picking artists. Picking an artist for these. Yeah. Or I have to say, I'm not surprised no. at the Obama's ability to pick a right awesome artist. They seem really cool. I bet. Yeah. I bet their house is like rocks. gorgeous. Yeah, I'm yes. sure. Um. Not to say that Donald Trump, his uh, uh, homes might not look absolutely gorgeous. They're so gaudy, though. <laughs> Have you seen, like, there's, like, pictures of, ugh, anyway. It looks like Louis XIV. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's basically. Threw up all over. Yeah. Um, 
so I've like seen all these things speaking of like politics I've seen all these things that are like you know Donald Trump said like all this like drama in his administration and the most dramatic thing Barack Obama ever did was wear a cream suit do you guys remember when he wore that like beige suit but I saw a picture of him recently wearing a maroon suit and I was like yes, yeah so hot yeah, oh yeah. my gosh so good but yeah yeah right, so today should we move on yeah should yeah, we why not? what we're gonna talk about yeah, so um, I was cruising the interwebs a while back, and I stumbled across an article about like hepatitis C care for inmates, and I'm oh, not yeah. going to talk about that today, but um, I just it kind of reminded me of this really interesting topic of um, care for women who are incarcerated. So I thought I'd talk a little bit. I think this actually will be better as like a two part series. So right on, I can dig it. Buckle up, friends for that um just because it's kind of like a big issue um there are a lot of like uh health needs that women have uh that uh that are complicated by being incarcerated i guess you could say mm-hmm. so i get i guess we'll just start with saying um some of the stats basically i mean these numbers change a lot but like at least um 200,000 women are living behind prisoner jail walls in the U.S. And on average, there's an S. So this is kind of like not 100. We're not 100% sure on this number. And like tons of people have reported it differently. I've seen anywhere from like 2 to 10% of incarcerated women are pregnant. Um, ACOG says it's 6 to 10% of women. Um, Other sources cited a little bit more the ACLU said two to three percent so and actually the highest rates of women who are pregnant are in local jails which I guess kind of makes sense because usually jails I feel like are shorter stays Mm -hmm. so um so when we talk about healthcare and like people who are incarcerated it's important to know and I got a lot of my information from the ACLU which has a really good write-up I'll link in the description to um to it but um they talk about basically when we talk about care for um people who are incarcerated their medical like their medical access and their medical care is mandated by the constitution um so the eighth amendment which is the amendment that basically says you know no excessive bail except for excessive fines or cruel and unusual punishment that kind of is what gives the lawyer type people guidance about um, the need to provide health care to people who are incarcerated. And also the 14th Amendment is cited by the ACLU. Um, basically, it says that the state can't um, abridge any of the privileges or immunities of citizens of the U.S. So they can't deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without um, due process of law. Um, so this is kind of what tells us that... Um, you know, people who are incarcerated have the right to medical care. And obviously that's also the like humane thing to do, mm-hmm. which you'd be surprised how, uh, how often this gets neglected. I was going to say, um, this sounds like the ideal. Yeah, it is. And I mean, and when you think about it, I think that people, I think we tend in society to think about prisoners as like, so once you've done something bad, you like, are 
you know, totally a bad person and, you know, why should you get all these rights? But, you know, right. someone who's in prison is serving their sentence. Like, they're being punished for what they have done. Like, the last time I checked, dying because of poor health care was not a part, you know, like not. It's not like a legal okay penalty. Yeah. For, like, drug offenses. Right. Um, Or even like, you know, more violent crimes like that's not a part of what people get sentenced to like yeah that's not okay to well, deprive people so and like not even to not to mention like people who are like falsely accused or like falsely imprisoned too right oh don't get me started on that yeah this is uh this is what a lot of people don't understand yeah here's this they is do, i think they're willfully ignoring it to be honest well or it's, it's never become a like concrete part of life okay so i listen to this law podcast and a lot of times so there's like two guys one's a lawyer and one's not and there's a lot of times when they talk about like criminal law where the guy who's not a lawyer is like well you know if you're you're guilty so you should do all this blah 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 and the guy who's the lawyer is just like well but like we should we have the like duty to protect everyone and you're innocent until proven guilty which is like how i feel like a lot of people that i know argue against taking care of people but i'm like okay you need to think about the laws from the view of like what if you were being falsely accused like what it should we should make it harder we should make it so that you have to obviously like you have to prove guiltiness because if you're falsely accused you don't want it to be able to be like circumstantial that you're guilty if you're not right right so like we shouldn't assume that people are guilty and that's i feel like people always think about it the other way of like well you're accused so you must be guilty whereas like you have to think about it from like yeah you you wouldn't have been arrested if you didn't do something exactly wrong. yeah which is like no this happens which all the time is the reverse of yeah yeah and anyway that's i don't know and like i don't know yeah there's a lot of i mean and you know when people talk about like why are you you know when people request lawyers they're like why would someone who's innocent request a lawyer and it's like because people get wrongly convicted all the time yeah. you know so because anyway. like your case can be thrown out on like a technicality and the people who know that are lawyers well right it's one reason i don't so, believe in the death penalty yeah or i have yeah I, I actually wasn't always quite of that opinion i mean i always kind of had a reservation for certain crimes you know mm -hmm. like the more serious they were the more likely i was to believe in that yeah but ultimately, actually, but ultimately, I've come to realize, and, and actually, I came to think harder about this a few years ago when we interviewed a um, a nun who was opposed to the death penalty on yeah. the other podcast, The Short Code, and um, I don't know, she just made me fully think about the fact that juries and the legal system and the defendants and the prosecution are all defense and the prosecution they're all people mm -hmm. they're all people and they all have the potential to be fallible and there is no way on there is no way that such a system such a group of people should be able to make life or death decisions that's just my thing i know people won't agree with yeah. that yeah i was actually one of the interviewers so oh, if you yeah. want to go back and uh listen to sister it's sister helen prejean even if you don't listen to the podcast look her up and yeah um she she's a really cool lady um also very kind and yeah she was sweet uh, lady really awesome yep. so um anyway but she 
now we're totally off topic, but I don't know that we are um, because I don't know that we are because it's the same thing. I mean, it's still, you know, we make these decisions for people and then we abandon them. Yeah. And yeah, I just yeah, I mean, and I just even if people are guilty, like they're still humans. Like I don't even putting aside all people who are wrongly convicted, like people who are guilty and are convicted of crimes, like they're humans and they deserve. Um to have health care and that's where i come down on it they, yeah they, i mean they're serving their sentence by being in prison right like yeah. you exactly know? and it's inhumane to yeah take away their health care because that's not a part of you know their sentence that's not a part of right and on top of that too like they like you said like they are serving their quote-unquote debt to society by fulfilling their sentence but also they our justice system is in no way rehabilitative which is not a good thing it's punitive and right. so like we're not helping any by pro not providing medical care or social care or whatever to people who are in prison we are not helping them get out of a cycle when they leave prison or jail because we're not making them into better members of society by not treating them medically that doesn't make right. sense and yeah, and I mean, and especially, like, not treating people's mental illnesses right. or their substance abuse problems in prison. Um, not good for them, and it's not good for society. I mean, I think we in this country need to have, like, a really thoughtful discussion about, yeah, like, sometimes we want, like, as as a society, we want, you know, to punish people and we want revenge, but is that really what's best for society in the long run? You know, like, how can we have a more restorative justice system? Right. Well, and also anyway. it like also saves money in the long run, too, because if you're like treating people who are in your care, who are receiving like basically f um, state or federal funds for their care. Right. When you're incarcerated, then you are basically reducing the load on that system later by do providing preventative care. So I don't know. It's just like that. I mean, that's part of the whole like preventative care saves money argument. But. I think it should be, which I think that's what the hepatitis C thing was about. Like the original article that Corbin talked about was like, if we treat people who are incarcerated for hepatitis C, we like could save money in the long run, essentially. But anyway. Right. And it was the idea that like should, but the hepatitis C drug is very expensive. Yeah. Um. So that was like part of the argument for right. not providing it. But anyway, so when we talk about women and their health care in prison, um, they're kind of like, I kind of break them down into like three big issues. So pregnancy care, which is what I'm going to talk about today. And then the next two are abortion services and then personal like sanitary menstrual supplies are also two big issues. But I think I'll leave that until next week. Sounds um, good. Just because the pregnancy care turned out to be like a really big, <laughs> you know, the, it's nuanced. So there are a lot of people who have um, come in and, you know, had a lot of different opinions about what should be provided for um, pregnant women who are in the incarceration uh, in the system, the prison system. So basically ACOG actually the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has a committee opinion on the care of women who are incarcerated 
And basically they say that, like, and like I said earlier, it's anywhere from 2 to 10% of women who are incarcerated are pregnant. And basically they say that women, when they're first, like, taken into prison, should be screened for, like, you know, the possibility of pregnancy, basically, and any sort of other, like, um, risks of, like, sexually transmitted diseases or, um, you know, just, like, any other sort of, like, health care intake or um, drug uh um, substance abuse problems or anything like that and um so and then they recommend pregnancy testing routinely for anyone who might be at risk and none um, of this is done no it is done okay okay well and it also probably depends on the i'm just talking about their recommendations okay too. all right so mostly yes it is done but like katie said it de- it uh it um, depends on the jail, really, or the prison or whatever sort of correctional facility you're in, because certain there are a lot of different incarceration systems in the U.S. There's the federal, there's the immigration and custom enforcement, there's county jails, there's state prisons. So, and these are all run by different um, kind of entities. I mean, you know, state things are subject to state laws, of course, and federal laws and all and all that. But honestly, mostly the states regulate this. Ki- it seems from my research that mostly the states regulate this kind of thing. Um, and otherwise, basically, like the federal, the Bureau of Prisons will have like a policy, but that doesn't necessarily mean every prison needs to follow it or anything like that. So unless there's a state law that says you have to provide this, then it's not necessarily going to always have to happen. But anyway, so ACOGS um, feels like, you know, basically women should um, be able to uh, be counseled about their options just like anyone else. So um, keeping the pregnancy, adoption, abortion. Um, and like I'll talk about next week, abortion is obviously still a right of women who are in the prison system. Roe v. Wade still applies. So um, they they are um, constitutionally allowed to still have that access, but that it becomes an issue in prison a lot of times. Um, also, they should have access to routine obstetric care and you know all the postpartum visits and they should have access to emergency visits on a 24-hour basis um so something specifically that ACOG outlines are um, counseling and abortion services the like prenatal care also um, assessment for substance abuse and initiate treatment and specifically they talk about like opioid abuse and like with therapy for methadone uh if they need it because obviously women who are pregnant and are opioid dependent um going through a draw could um harm their pregnancy and of course themselves mm-hmm. um also testing you know not to mention we t- the drain on the system of having babies who are going through neonatal abstinence syndrome too right that's like though i mean they wouldn't to quite the same extent, but babies who, I mean, methadone wouldn't like totally. But if you totally are prepared though. Right. Because like yeah. baby, so babies who are born to people who are prepared for that to happen are much better cared for than pe- than babies who are born 
without access to any of those resources right yeah but i mean oh i mean presumably they're in prison and they're um you know for some sort of time before they would be give birth or whatever um so also it's routine in pregnancy to treat for hiv or um test for hiv uh, because this is something that can be spread from mom to baby and so and obviously you'd want to treat women regardless of whether they're pregnant or not but um also it becomes critical in pregnancy and also any sort of like depression um mental health issues that uh, women might have and also the right to like good dietary options for women who are pregnant and vitamins and whatnot because that also becomes really important in pregnancy um so basically there have been you know tons of different like the national commission of correction health care the national health uh, public health association have come out with basically all these guidelines um another thing that people have recommended was uh the actual um, American Public Health Association recommended that sterilization should only be provided with voluntary written consent after counseling by an outside agency and that it shouldn't be provided emergency after birth, which I think is um, a really good point because there's a lot of talk about like sterilizing inmates basically and how wrong that is and like unjust it is to do that. And so the idea that... um, you need to make sure that when you counsel a woman on her like birth control options after pregnancy, uh, that you're not doing it in a coercive way. Because like I said, like even though they're inmates, a woman still has the right, you know, to procreate and all of that. And that shouldn't be taken away from her just because she's in jail. Right. Well, we talked about that one time because there was someone who was offering lesser sentences to men who yeah. had vasectomies, I think. Right. I think we talked yeah. about that before. Yeah, we did. But yeah, we did. Did you yeah. say, um, I was trying to listen, but did you say that they can't have um, permanent contraception dire- immediately after delivery? So this is from, this is just a a recommendation from the American Public Health Association. Yeah. A recommendation that sterilization should only provided be provided with written voluntary consent after counseling by an outside agency. And that it should not be provided immediately after birth. Oh, so the counseling like, shouldn't be provided immediately after Right, birth. yeah. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I was like, a I, post-C-section tubal is like totally normal and something that we do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the idea is that like not the prison system would recommend it. Like, yeah. Um, like if someone came to UIHC, they would give the counseling rather than like the prison system. Right. You know? Well, and I think it's like important to point out like the way it is now, I think it's Medicaid. Like anyone who's on Medicaid can't, you have to like have papers signed before you deliver if you want. Yeah. For 30 days. Yeah. Because otherwise, like obviously if you're like in labor, everyone's like, not everyone, but a lot of people in labor are like, I'm never having a baby again. (laughs) And so like, you can't take that as like, that's like essentially like a coerced. Also, just a way for the government to control women's bodies. Yeah, or whatever. It's considered a coerced um, consent, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I have different thoughts about that. I don't know. 
uh i mean obviously i wouldn't like want to get consent of a woman during labor but like 30 days before is just in my opinion kind of a way to control women's bodies like what's wrong with like a week before you know what i mean right like, yeah exactly anyway it's just an arbitrary period of time right yeah so um another big issues that comes up with uh women's pregnancy in um besides just like what care they receive is like restraints oh yeah and so basically the big issue is like you know routinely uh inmates or uh people who are in the prison system uh rather they are put in restraints like for transporting and stuff like that and so that's really dangerous for pregnant women because um and ACOG actually recommends against it unless it's like absolutely 100% necessary for basically like the safety of the people around or themselves um, yeah or themselves um so like as an example dangerous in what way so like as an example like an acutely like suicidal patient Mm -hmm. could be right yeah in yeah restraints or like someone who's like actively like homicidal or like aggressive assaulting right but you said it was dangerous particularly dangerous for oh pregnant women yeah. yeah, I was just going to get to that. Oh, okay. um, but act- but the idea that, you know, most women, most women are actually like nonviolent offenders. Exactly, so yeah. um, it's, you know, like drug charges and stuff like that. So they're not really at risk. But um, so there are a lot of medical reasons. So like um, one, it's just like ACOG, for instance, they've outlined a few like they just say that shackling during pregnancy is cruel and inhumane because like you can be ill, you know, like with morning sickness, nausea you know having those symptoms and like being yeah restrained for, for is sure, yeah. inhumane um also women pregnant women need to have the ability to catch themselves and break their falls oh yeah, okay um specifically like you know protect their abdomen and stuff like that well yeah. and also i feel like shackling your ankles is a huge tripping hazard too yeah, yeah. like in their center yeah. of balance is like their center of gravity is off and i don't know yeah whatever um also like a number so basically medical care that she might need would be hindered by restraints so for instance some examples they give is like if a woman starts bleeding vaginally it can be an emergency situation and like if she's restrained it would delay care to the point where that it would harm her potentially or her baby um also you know in the cases of a woman with eclampsia if she's restrained um she would have a worse outcome so basically, if she has a seizure because of um, high blood pressure, um, yeah, she would have worse outcomes. And um, or I guess just being able to move around um, can have an impact on one's condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for and in, in some many circumstances, I would think, right? Yeah, and also like for pain management during labor. Oh uh, yeah, that's it's a huge important. one. Or, like, maneuvers during delivery. So, like, if a woman has a shoulder dystocia, which is when the baby's shoulder gets stuck in her pelvis, um, it would make it hard for the doctor per- to perform the ne- necessary maneuvers to uh, to deliver the baby safely. Or um, if they need to do a emergent or an urgency section, it could delay their, you know, their care. And so these are all things that obviously could um could affect 
the baby and why. And so most most pol- places have like policies against sh- uh, restraints during active labor. Right. So and I believe so you can look at and state laws vary about this but um and i actually couldn't find iowa's laws they weren't like readily posted so that's lame but there are some old news articles from 2013 that seem like iowa had changed their laws that um it was illegal to shackle during active labor uh unless like you know an outstanding circumstance and um yeah and so there are also like limits to the type of restraining so like nothing around the abdomen um is what's typically recommended and yeah like restraints that allow a woman to break her own fall or catch herself and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's a you know it's a really important consideration and also i mean if you can imagine like a woman in the middle of a delivery trying to like escape or harm someone like that's seems unlikely seems unlikely seems unlikely right yeah so also they talk about how restraints like um inhibit the ability for a mom and her baby to bond after delivery so that's also important because bonding is really especially immediately after delivery is really important um for the the well-being of both mom and baby um and ideally like ACAG recommends that the infant as the baby gets older, the mom should be able to take care of the child as much as possible. So this kind of brings me to my next issue is like the bonding between a mom and her baby afterwards. I mean, like I said, bonding right after birth is really important for, you know, mental health of mom and the well-being of baby. And so, but the problem is, of course, if a woman is incarcerated, she has essentially two days in the hospital and then she has to go back to wherever she's being incarcerated and she may not be able to see her baby. You know, there are certain prisons that have actually like daycare where the baby can live at- with the mom essentially, but mm-hmm. those don't exist in Iowa. And so in those cases, ACOG recommends that there be some sort of like visitation program that allows women to... uh it allows women to visit their baby and you know nurture their baby right and the inability to see their baby can affect you know it can lead to higher rates of postpartum depression and it makes it harder for women to breastfeed which is also really important because i mean breastfeeding is um really important to the health of the baby so without that opportunity we need to do an episode on breastfeeding sometime yeah so anyway being incarcerated has a like and being pregnant has a lot of uh really important i guess nuances to their care and um it's important that i think we think about how can we change what we i know what we usually do to better facilitate and in the end like a baby who is bonded you know to their parent is going to do better right and also there's been studies that show like recidivism is less when women are able to like see and take care of their babies after postpartum mm-hmm. so which yeah i mean that just seems to make sense i mean there's some motivation there some extra motivation yeah um right and like well, i mean oh go ahead kitty well i wonder too if women who with children 
women with children or women that were pregnant in the system have more of a chance at rehabilitation. Like, I just, I wonder if like that frequent contact with the medical system and having someone who's like kind of watching out for you, if that like helps at all, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like more rehabilitative than the way that other people are treated. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I have a feeling it would it would depend strongly on the state and how yeah. closely they work with healthcare providers and that's true and um and things like that. Because I think uh, yeah. my my guess is that for the majority of prisoners, and I can't say I can't even guess about um, pregnant women prisoners. Um, that connection is tenuous. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to just point out, um, which I think is implied, but we're talking specifically about women who desire to keep their child. So we're not talking about women who like want to put their baby up for adoption or have an abortion just to be like extra right. clear. Yeah. 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 And like I said earlier, um, abortion is something that is the right of women who are incarcerated as well. And we'll talk about that next week about um, some of the issues that come up with that, because I mean... It's important that women are counseled that, yes, you can have an abortion, even though you're incarcerated, like, if you feel like that yeah. is what you want, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, I was just going to go back to the restraints. I believe the last time that I knew, I believe that it is still legal to have restraints on during labor and delivery in Iowa. I, in my personal, like, practice and things i've seen i've never seen it done but it's legal last i knew and i mm. doubt that under the current yeah state administration that that would have changed so yeah anyway have you guys ever treated a, mm -hmm. a prisoner yep oh yeah lots of times absolutely so well i don't know if our listeners will know this but iowa so university of iowa hospitals and clinics is a huge <sighs> treatment center for i mean the whole state but especially people who are incarcerated um and i also yeah did, we have a big prison right nearby yeah mm -hmm. so. and i also did part of my first year of clinical rotations in des moines and i worked at broadlands which is the public hospital in des moines and um same thing there so yeah. i treated a lot of people who were in prison how did you find working with these i don't want to get too off topic is this all right no, I think it's yeah, that's fair. Fine. How did you find it uh, treating these women? I mean, was it different from treating other people? I mean, they're normal people. Yeah. Like, I honestly but, think it depends on your attending a lot yeah. on how you feel comfortable and how the patient feels too. Because um, like I, so I had like incarcerated women who were pregnant um, because like my OB clinics were at Broadlands and like there were some patients where I was like, their provider because i saw them like every time they came for their ob visit and they i mean the attending that i worked with was like so chill like mm. he treated them exactly like he treated his other patients a lot of them were not going to be in jail for the entire pregnancy and want and like would follow up with him mm -hmm. like they wanted him to deliver their babies when they were out yeah. and like wanted to keep seeing him um which i think is good and i think that i mean he he works with a lot of like populations who are at risk so like he works with prisoners he works with 
immigrant women. He works with undocumented women, like all this stuff. So he's like very used to like, he, I mean, he treats everyone the same. Yeah. It like didn't matter if you were like white and super rich or if you were from Sierra Leone and had no documentation, you know? So it was like, I don't know. It was all the same. I don't know. I felt that that was like very instrumental in the way that I see patients now. Mm-hmm. That was good. I imagine it's a lot about familiarity too. Like just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you know, when you, if the, probably the first time you, you, you know that you're going to see a woman in prison that probably, I mean, I know for me, it would bring up a certain vision, mm. um, which might or may not be accurate in that particular situation. But the more you get to know a population, the more easy you are, the more easy you feel about being, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, their provider. Right. What about you, Corbin? Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I think that I always like, I mean, seeing patients who are from prison mainly because I like the idea of like knowing that they're getting good care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And so uh, I think that we all, yeah, it really depends on your provider, but the, also the department of correction really does limit like what you can do. Like for instance, you can't tell like a, someone who's in prison like i'll see you in a month yeah you can't tell them when their next appointment is yeah can you so you can't even like can you tell somebody like i want to see this person in a month or yeah but you have to tell the correctional officer yeah you tell the correctional officer that yeah and then they coordinate it or whatever yeah but um i do think that like for some people uh it's hard to like it you do have to like change some of the way you ask questions mainly because you need to like tailor it to your patient you know Mm -hmm. like right and i think that makes some people feel uneasy but like it's just a matter of like doing it and like knowing that your patients are like people and they have all the same right i mean you probably concerns and worries that every person has right you you would do that anyway yeah you would just right do it in a slightly different way it is like right it, it I mean, we kind of talked about this. It is really awkward until you know exactly. Like, obviously, the more you're familiar with it, the yeah. easier it is. But it's awkward, yeah. like, because, like, the first time I did it, like, I went and talked to my patient, you know, like, did that whole spiel. And I went and talked to my attending and was, like, you know, like, reporting to him. And he was like, well, is she going to be in, in jail still when she delivers? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Good question. And he is like, does she, is she going to get transferred? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And he's like, is she like, whatever, you know, all these questions. And I was like, I do not know how to ask these questions and feel comfortable. I'm like, I feel like these are very personal. And he's like, well, we need to know. And I was like, that is true. So you go do it and I'll watch you and learn how you ask it. And then I will do it next time. It's funny because doctors are, uh, to some extent, used to asking personal questions yeah but these it's are just questions so different that, though like yeah. i can ask you about your period all day long yes. but like i don't feel comfortable now i do but i did I not think- feel comfortable asking you like are you going to prison or are yeah. you staying in jail right you know right. like that's not something you ask people normally i think one thing is like because so i ask it of every person i mean i just like want to doc- make sure <laughs> people forget that doctors have like all the like same politeness urges that everyone else does yeah the for only sure. reason we're okay with like asking people about like people's poop or like their <laughs> sexual history is because someone told us we could and you do it every that. day at some point and, and we do it all the time we and need so, to know too so yeah and then so when someone's like in prison you don't think about wow it seems really rude to be like hey are you still gonna be in prison when you like mm-hmm. or like 
is it okay for me to ask this person if they're using drugs? Like, is it, you know, like, or should that be implied right. Implied that they're not because they're in prison or, or is that naive or you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's also really awkward because you have to ask about like, if you're seeing someone for their first OB visit with you and they're far along in their pregnancy and they were incarcerated in their pregnancy, then you, I mean, you should be asking, did you use drugs in this pregnancy? Did you whatever? But like the, correction officer is sitting in the room that's something we didn't say i was going to ask about this yeah so the correction officer in every single experience i've had is sitting in the room with you Mm -hmm. and so they're like me in part you have to like take it in stride like you have to take their answers in stride because they're sitting there in front of a corrections officer answering these questions so like yeah how are you supposed to get an honest answer yeah i know but whatever some of them are like and also the idea that like women who become pregnant in prison because they're victims of rape in prison yeah. Um, that's a huge issue as well. Yeah. So the one that I worked with the most was a women's presence. So, I mean, that's a little, little bit harder, but, um, yeah, but I mean, that's not, I don't know. There are instances. Well, like, uh, but I would agree with Corbin. I most- feel, I like taking care of women who are incarcerated because it, feel, it makes me feel like they're getting good care and yeah. they deserve it. And yeah. Anyway just yeah but yeah so this was good i'm excited to talk about more next week yeah i think our next week's topics are pretty interesting too yeah and remind us again what those are we're talking about abortion and um access to like sanitary products in prison for women yeah all right looking forward to that yeah so that'll be good yeah thanks for listening Yeah. yeah everything's in our show notes how to get a hold of us um send us an email rate us on itunes Buy something at thevagabonds.com slash store. Yeah. And Help keep the podcast alive. Review us. Did you say review us? Did you say that already? I don't know. Review us on iTunes. I get it. Um, because that brings us to the attention of other people who are yeah. looking for similar podcasts. And tell your friends. Yes. And, and we'll love yourself. Oh, yeah. Happy Galentine slash Valentine slash yes. Palentine. <laughs> we love you. Okay. Bye. Bye.